Let's reopen our Bibles to uh, the little epistle of Jude. Jude, and we will move quickly through a few verses, since the point's been adequately made from the fifth verse. Jude, the sixth verse. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Our Father in heaven, thy word is truth. Here we read of events the world knows nothing about. There is no learned man among them. There is no research scientist that can even scratch the surface to know that there is another realm of existence far beyond their feeble telescopes and microscopes. There is an angelic world, an angelic universe of principalities and powers, mights, thrones, and dominions. And we have it revealed to us in Holy Scripture, one of the mysteries that the Bible tells us about. Cause us to think upon this further example of your judgment against sin. For we ask it in Jesus' name, who is the head of all principality and power forever. Amen. Amen. This is the second of three categories of beings that God judged for their sins. The purpose of it? To remind us why it is so important to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Because God is going to judge those that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That strive and fight and question and compromise the word of God. So he's giving these examples to press us to be those earnest contenders. Because he said, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. But it was needful for me to communicate this point. And the reason this point is so important is because look at how God judges sin and error. And so we read about the angels. Peter used this example as well in 2 Peter chapter 2. It gives us the right to use angels to reason about God's dealings with men. Because here's angels being used, and he's going to use them again in just a few verses, to press us to our duties. There's two categories of angels in the Bible since the first angels fell. All the angels were created as his ministering spirits. They are flames of fire. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. They were all his slaves, his servants. They were in his presence to do his bidding. Some of those angels, under the leadership of the devil himself, that we call Satan, that old serpent, who is also called Lucifer in the Bible, rose in rebellion against the Most High God and said that they were not content with their place, that they wanted to be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 give us some prophetic passages about that event. 1 Timothy 3.6 tells us that we should never ordain a novice, lest being lifted up in pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil, which tells us right there the devil's sin. Pride. I will be like the Most High. No, he wasn't going to be like the Most High. I think I've told you in the past that when the devil says that, it is actually quite a statement about our God. He didn't say, I will be above the Most High. He said, I will be like the Most High. Because you can't get any higher than the God we worship. And brethren, 
It is so exciting to know that the most powerful being short of God himself is under the complete and totalitarian dictatorship of the man, Christ Jesus. It is a wonderful message of the gospel that the man, Christ Jesus, sits on the throne of God, the throne of David, at God's right hand and rules over all angels and principalities and powers. Those words in the Bible, principalities, that is a a municipality, a principality. It's the domain of a prince. There are princes in the angelic realm that motivate nations, that cause wars, that assist men to do things they could otherwise not do, that hinder nations in accomplishing what they otherwise should be able to do. Daniel chapter 10 tells us about them, that Alexander the Great had a mighty prince of the fallen angelic realm with him, and that Michael, the prince of God's people, had been doing battle with him. You can read about this in Daniel chapter 10. Alexander the Great couldn't have done anything that he did, except God had given him dominion. God gave him dominion because he wanted to take care of the Persian Empire, and Alexander did a good job of it, because God blessed him. But there's a whole world, and I'm not going to preach on angels. Please do not get upset at me if I move through some of these verses faster than you wish. There's sermons available on angels because it's too big of a subject, and we will lose the lesson. The lesson is that the highest beings in the universe, when they sinned once out of pride because they were not content with the position and role God gave them, he cast them out of their office. There's three castings out of the devil and his angels. He was cast out of his office because of sin into the world. Then he is bound by being cast out of his privileges to go back into heaven, which he had in the days of Job. You know in the days of Job that the Lord said to Satan when he appeared among the sons of God, meaning the angels, he said, where have you been? And he said, wandering to and fro in the earth and going up and down in it because that's what he's done. He's limited in space and time. He is not like God who is outside of both of them. And then there's going to be a final casting down when the Lord Jesus Christ cast the devil into the lake of fire. And the Bible tells us about that fire in Matthew 25, 41, prepared for the devil and his angels. God created the devil for the lake of fire. I wonder if he likes God's purpose for his life. The first spiritual law, devil, the Lord loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But don't ever go beyond what I just said, because that's the Lord rebuking him. The Lord has all that authority, and we have none of it. We have none of it. All the authority is in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the protection against the powers of the devil are in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But who are you guys? And that one devil-possessed man leaped on seven exorcists of the Jews, stripped them naked, and chased them out of that house. And great fear came upon that whole place. These are the devils. They sinned. Do you know what the Bible says? Even heaven is not clean in his sight. Even a sin by those beings, he cast them down and reserved. They're in chains. Not chains that you buy at a hardware store, but spiritual chains hindering their activity. They can no longer go into heaven to accuse the brethren because Revelation 12 tells us that. Heaven isn't big enough for the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. He's been cast out with his angels. 
There's nothing to accuse us of because who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? But he's in the world and he accuses us with fiery darts of doubt and disbelief. And he shall yet be cast in the lake of fire. He is not able to deceive the nations like he once did so that the gospel could go into the four quarters of the earth or you would have never heard it and you would have never believed it. By the grace of God, he was bound so that we could hear the gospel. And there's coming a time when he shall be loosed again to gather the world against the saints of God and to try to destroy Christianity. And the Lord Jesus Christ will come the second and final time. And the devil will be cast into hell. There will be the great day of judgment. And the devils will be judged, meaning the fallen angels. The angels that did not sin, did not sin because God preserved them. He elected them. That is why they are called the elect angels. And they are called the holy angels because God has elected them to keep them in their holy habitation, in their holy estate of which He created them. And bless the God of heaven for doing that. He chose us to make us holy when we were unholy. He elected them to preserve them in holiness so they wouldn't fall. But the rest He let fall all the way down from heaven itself into this earth and they shall be dropped into the everlasting lake of fire for torment forever and ever. The whole point of this is, look what God did to angels that sinned against Him. I will be like the Most High. I'm not content with my role. I'm not content with my role as a servant. I want more. And He cast them out of heaven. He cast them into the earth. And they know their future. It's one thing to be surprised by your future. But to have to live in the knowledge of your future is terrible. Isn't it, Rachel? It's nothing like what we're talking about. When Jesus appeared on earth, devil-possessed men would come and fall down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, declare that He was the Son of God, and ask if He was come to torment them before their time. They know they have a time coming of torment. and It's described right here in one verse. The angels which kept not their first estate, that is their role and responsibility and office before God as His slaves, but left their own habitation. They left their place that God gave them and the place where they could dwell and stay. Heaven itself He hath reserved. They'll never escape these reservations in everlasting chains under darkness Unto the judgment of the great day. They are never given light. They are never given mercy. They are under the constraints of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride was their sin and it destroyed them. Do you know what we ought to think of pride as a consequence of this lesson? We ought to hate pride. Because if He did this to the angels, what will He do to us? If we stand up and bark against Him, against His ministers, against the parents He sends us, against the president we have, we submit, we thank God, and we obey. Until we have a direct contradiction with God's Word. There's more that could be said, but I want to, I want to move on. What a great day is coming. I want to say one, I want to say another thing or two. Uh, The great day that's coming when the Lord Jesus Christ judges the devil, You are going to do the judgment with Him. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? If we had a practical division in here about a, a borrowed and damaged jigsaw or any other simple little incident that would occur between brethren... Why in the world would we ever take it to the courts of this land and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? 
And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? All of a sudden, the jigsaw sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Even if it were to be a complicated mess between two brothers. We shall judge angels because we are the sons of God. And our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we are joint heirs of God and heaven, will judge the angels that sinned. Right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, our authority is only derived from Him and the authority God's given Him. There will be no righteousness of our own except the righteousness He has put upon us. But the Bible tells, we're on white horses right behind Him on His white horse in Revelation 19. This is how the Bible presents it. What is the lesson and application we should take out of this? Though angels are greater in power and might, they were judged harshly. They rejected God's role, so they lost everything. Whatever role God's given you, if you're a child, and right now your life seems hopeless, frustrating, difficult, boring, God chose that for you right now. Get used to it. There's more of it to come. Unless you submit to your role. If you'll submit to it and be cheerful. I had a wonderful occasion yesterday to help a young man that I can't even tell you about because if I told you the least bit of it, you'd be able to figure out who I'm talking about and you don't need to figure out who I'm talking about. But every one of you children, I don't care if your job is to go out and cut the grass and wash out the garage and clean out the kitty litter because your dad wants to make the kitty litter last a few more times. So you've got to take a fork and clean out the kitty litter. Now that's tight. When the budget calls for those kind of maneuvers with a fork. I'm, I'm experienced. But do you know what? If you're 14 years old and you're feeling your first testosterone and your father wants you to take a fork and clean out the kitty litter, do it with zeal. Amen. Be the best. I'm the best kitty litter cleaner east of the Mississippi. Have the right attitude for it. it, I I know you're laughing about the stupidity of my... That's why I'm not good at metaphors, and I hate using them. It's a choice. I will be like the Most High. They were not... Do you know how high he was? The anointed cherub of God. You thank God that you were born into the United States of America around the year 2000, to Christian parents that are so good that they want you to clean the kitty litter so that you'll learn that things can be extended with a longer life than the neighbor uses them. <coughs> There's always things you can look at to be thankful for. Amen. You, what is your role? What is your place before God? Are you fulfilling it with joy and thanksgiving and appreciation, or are you chafing against it and are you discontent? If God would judge angels greater than us, we can be sure He'll judge our rebellion. The context is earnestly contending for the faith and ungodly men that crept into the church. We want to be like Joshua and Caleb in verse 5, and we want to be like Michael and Gabriel in verse 6. We want to stand up for God's people, we want to stand up for God's truth, and we want there to be war! When someone stands up and tries to propose something against God's Word. In Revelation chapter 12, it says there was war in heaven. The devil and his angels fought against Michael and his angels. And who won? 
Michael and his angels, because the devil and his angels were cast out into the earth. Those in heaven were rejoicing, and those in heaven, woe to those, I mean those on earth, woe to them that be on earth. Because the devil is cast out of heaven, he's now going to be full time in the earth. Woe unto you. He knows he's got a short time left before his torment's coming. Let's be like Michael the archangel. Let's be like Gabriel. Let's stand. Let's fight in a war. Let's not allow the devil and his angels into our lives. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is armor that God has given you and part of that armor is truth. The devil will flee from truth because he's a liar. His whole whole efforts are based on a lie. It's never going to succeed. Jesus Christ has already won. And there's going to be a declaration of it yet to come that's going to be glorious. This is Jude 1 and verse 6. I know more could be said, but they're, they're restrained, bound, and they are committed to the lake of fire. The final and formal pronouncement just hasn't been made and will be there with the Lord Jesus Christ when it's made. And there's going to be some howling and screaming, the likes of which the universe has never seen as the Lord Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. I love Genesis 3.15. I don't care where you go in the Bible. Genesis 3.15 or go to the end of the book of Revelation. It lifts up the man Christ Jesus. And the man Christ Jesus has already dealt him a fatal wound to his head. The final pronouncement just hasn't been declared. But it's coming. Praise the Lord. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Get excited about what I'm telling you. That there's a man that's sitting at the pinnacle of power of the universe at the right hand of God. That all angels and principalities are subject unto him. They have to ask for permission to enter pigs. Amen. Amen. I love the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was veiled when he was here the first time, but it's not veiled any longer. What is your name? Did you ever read in the Bible? I don't want to tell you what my name is. I mean, that would sound like a devil, wouldn't it? But not when Jesus Christ says, what is your name? Legion. We are many. Get out of them. And a man that no one could tame, no one could chain, no one could understand, sat in his right mind and said, Lord Jesus, let me go with you. Let me go with you. No, my Gadarene. I want you to go home and tell what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Amen. Praise the Lord. That wasn't the lesson of verse 6. But the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is something we should want out of almost every verse that we can see it. The lesson of verse 6 is, if God judged the angels, what's he going to do for you? If you rebel against what he's told you and commanded you and promised you and offered you to be the anointed cherub of God, what, what an office, what a close proximity to God, what a, what a role. You lose all that and you gain eternal torment. We come to verse seven, even as, even as. Everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 
Sodom and Gomorrah give us a third example. Remember in 2 Peter 2, we also have the flood. So we have four examples of large groups of people judged horrifically by the God of heaven for sin. These Sodomites were judged for their sexual perversion of sodomy. That's where the word came from. It's not gay. It's not an alternative lifestyle. And it's not homosexuality. It's sodomy. And it came from the city of Sodom where the inhabitants and the men of Sodom loved each other more than women. And they even went after the strange flesh of angels that came to visit that city and lodged with Lot. They went after strange flesh and they went after it with a greedy lasciviousness that you can only match with the United States of America. And it's greedy lasciviousness for so much fornication, adultery, sodomy, and other perversions in this country. They march in our streets. They're protected by our laws. We grant them marriages. We're going to fall into the judgment of the city of Sodom because we act like it as a nation. This is a judgment of cities and their suburbs and the cities about them. Zeboiim, Adma, and others that are listed in the Bible. The cities of the plain. They prospered. They had great schools. They had big houses. Fancy subdivisions. Lot looked toward the well-watered plain of Jordan, and that's where he wanted his family to live because everyone was prosperous there, but it destroyed his family. But even that isn't the lesson of this. The lesson is this. The men of Sodom were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Genesis 13. Genesis 14. Four kings come 500 miles from Iraq and wage war against the nations of Canaan in that vicinity. And they took the king of Sodom captive, and all that he owned, and all the citizens of Sodom, until Abraham got his 318 trained servants, and went after them with a couple of Canaanites in confederacy with him. And he rescued the king of Sodom. And he rescued everything the king of Sodom owned. And he rescued every inhabitant of Sodom. Because his nephew Lot lived there. And he brought them all back and put them back in their city. And the king of Sodom came out and said, All that you've brought back, we have our lives. All that you've brought back can be yours. I raise my hand to the God of heaven that I will not take a shoe latchet. Except what the men have eaten while they were fighting. And whatever these confederates of mine want, they can have. But I will not take anything because the God of heaven gave me that victory. Now you please keep that in mind. Did the God of heaven do something decent for the men of Sodom? Amen. How did they return the favor? Don't say it out loud. I'm thinking it, you're thinking it, but don't say it out loud. How did they return the favor? They corrupted what God had made. They turned against the natural use of the woman and went after each other. And they went after each other so much that the first night when Lot has guests that appear to be males, but they're strange flesh that they had never met before, nor did they know them, they circled his entire house and demanded that Lot bring them out. And they told expressly what they were going to do to those two men. And so what did God do to that city? He burned them up. You ought ought to go on and do a little Googling about the Dead Sea area. See how fertile it is. See what kind of yields they get per acre. Go, no, seriously. Do it. Check out the amount of brimstone in the soil, in the stones. Check out what the Dead Sea's like. Check out the mineral content of that area. It's interesting. It's unique. 
He burned them all up. What has God done for you? What has he done for you? Has he been merciful to you? Has he blessed you? Has he shown you some favors? And you turn on him and play around with sexual sins? Look at the result. Now, don't forget that these false teachers in verse 4 were ungodly men turning the grace of our God into, hello, lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? Wanton, lewd, lustful activities. Oh, the United States of America. Lustful, lewd, wanton, no sexual temperance, no sexual restraints. Keep that in mind, why we have that example here. Because these men, these carnal Christians, these false prophets, these false teachers that got into this, these churches that Jude addressed, turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. It doesn't say turn the grace of God into drunkenness, although drunkenness could be part of lasciviousness. It doesn't say turn the grace of God into idolatry. It says lasciviousness so that we would understand unrestrained satisfying of lust. An intemperate approach to life usually sexual related. And so we have Sodom and Gomorrah. Because notice what we have next. I hope that's... Just give me a second here. We want to keep the primary lesson. Look what God did to Sodom because of their unthankfulness and and lack of appreciation and lack of submission to God's holy law after what He did for them. Don't you think after He had saved all their lives that they would have said, Lot... Get that uncle of yours into town, and we want to hear about his religion. He swore by the God that he served, and we want to know about that God, because he did something amazing. He took on four mighty kings that whipped us with ease, and he defeated them and brought back every single thing. Right. We want to know about that God, but no. They were too interested in their well-watered plains of Jordan. They were too interested in their good public schools. They were too interested in their fancy subdivisions. They were too interested in their multiple cars in the driveway. That is what they were there for. That is what Lot went there for. It was the good life. And God burned them all up, and that's not the good life. And his wife was so corrupted by by living in that city, she couldn't heed the angels, and she looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. Lot himself had to be dragged out of the city by the angels, taking him by the hand and forcibly dragging him out of the city. And when they got out of the city, he said, here's, a little, here's another little town. Can I, can I stay here instead of the mountains? Why do you want me to go to the mountains? Just a whining baby. Do you know how we become that whining baby? Do we have to be that strict? Can't we have a little compromise with the world? When the fire and brimstone fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the hair on the back of Lot was singed off, he decided that living in a cave in the mountain was a great place. But he had ruined his life because he had ruined his daughters. And there comes the Moabites and the Ammonites, the enemies of the Israel forever. Verse 8, Likewise also, Likewise also, That's wanting to tell you that there is a very close comparison between the spirit and actions of the men in verse 7 and the spirit and actions of the men in verse 4. The false teachers that have crept in unawares who are false teachers turning the grace of God into lasciviousness are very much like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. They are not thankful for God and what he has done for them and they corrupt 
God's sexual rules by allowing too casual of an approach to virginity, modesty, and sexual activities. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. It's making a comparison. It's the same in Second Peter chapter 2. The false teachers that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness allow too much fornication, allow casual sex, allow unchaperoned dating, allow everything that else that goes on in unchaperoned dating, allow sodomy. Do you know how many pulpits in this country today are justifying and allowing sodomy? Do you know how many there are? They're allowing sodomites in the pulpit. They're allowing sodomites to get married. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And it all stems from this. God loves everyone. He loves the sodomites too. Yes, He does. He sent them a warm embrace in Genesis chapter 19, didn't He? The first spiritual law to Sodom. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So sick of that track. I wonder if Lot handed some of those out. Do you think the angels were out there all night passing them out? Here, read this. Read this, brother. You need this. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers. He's jumping back to four. Certain men crept in unawares, ordained to condemnation from before of old, ungodly men that turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And while they may profess Christ, they do not live like Christ, especially in sexual matters. Sodomy is certainly in the context. And we live in a generation where the fulfillment of this text is so plain, you all know it automatically. Right. You're right. Brother Crosby, you're right. The world in our country, there are so many churches, there's denominations that now justify it, excuse it, condone it, allow it, defend it, protect it. And of course, there's some that promote it. They defile the flesh, but we don't want to stop there. Because we could all go home and say, well, I'm not guilty of sodomy, so the verse doesn't apply to me. I want to tell you that sexual sins less than sodomy defile the flesh. Right. When Dinah went out to visit the daughters of the land, she went to the mall. Dinah, in Genesis 34, went out to the mall to visit the daughters of the land. And a cool dude came walking through named Shechem. And he said, hey, little girl, you want to go for a ride in my chariot? And so she went for a ride in his chariot and he seduced her and had sex with her. And her brothers found out about it. What was the language used? She has defiled, he has defiled our sister. They stood in an assembly that night, 12 brothers standing around in a circle with their father Jacob. And the men of Shechem came to ask for Dinah in marriage. These pagan perverts living in Canaan. And Jacob said, well, we might be able to think about it if you'd like to circumcise the whole city. All of you get circumcised. And they gathered and pulled, pulled themselves aside and said, do you like her that much? I, I like her that much. Okay. So the whole city got circumcised. Simeon and Levi, brothers number two and brothers number three, are standing there watching this go on. Why is dad going to let our Dinah? Do you know what they did to Dinah? That's my sister. That little Canaanite touched my sister. They waited a couple of days 
till all the men of that city were very sore, and they went in and killed every single inhabitant. Now, they broke the covenant that their father made with them, and God judged Simeon and Levi for that. But there were two brothers that defended their sister's honor, and in the Bible it's called being defiled, because you have taken away her purity. You have taken away her value so that the other word used in the Bible is she has been humbled. That means lowered in value. Any older woman or younger woman that has ever been humbled or defiled, never forget that by the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and by Christian character, not only can it be forgiven and forgotten, you can bury it and rise far above it. Because I want to remind you that Jesus appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene. Right. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. undefiled. Right. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Right. It's the marriage bed where it can be undefiled before God. That means you're married when you go to bed. That's not hard, is it? You're married when you go to bed, and until you're married, you don't go to bed with somebody of the opposite sex. Or you don't do it anywhere else. You don't have a right to even get close to doing it. You don't even want to tempt yourself to do it. You don't even want to start toward it. It's You wait until you're married. We'll help you get married. Find somebody else that loves the truth, loves the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll help you get married. Then you can shake those sheets as often as you want. Because the marriage bed is honorable. But don't do it outside of that. Because it says, likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They teach too low of a standard of righteousness. And it's true in so many churches. We must be vigilant. We must be violent with our families. To protect them. To help them. Or the Lord will judge us. Because look what He did to Sodom and Gomorrah. God bless them. They were loose sexually. God has blessed us. Let us be vigilant about it. I've taken you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 before, where it says, Know ye not, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. How do you glorify God in your body? You never attach it to somebody in a sinful use of it, because that is to defile the flesh. If two, if two young people who both fear the Lord defile their flesh because their parents are negligent and allow it to happen, the cure for it is to get married. The Bible cures to get married, taught very plainly in the Bible. Right. Except if the father of the girl says, I don't care that they were defiled, I just don't like him. They can't get married. The father could say no to it because the father of the bride controls if the marriage is going to happen or not. That's what the Bible teaches on that subject. But let's, let's just keep looking at these uh, words that we have here. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. How many of you have filthy dreams? How many of you fantasize? Do you know how Peter puts it? Here's his words. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Eyes full of adultery, meaning looking at other women and wishing you could have them and making it as real as your imagination will help you do that and cannot stop it. That's describing these filthy dreamers that are likewise also to be compared to the men of Sodom. 
Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, whose eyes cannot cease from sin. Their eyes are full of adultery. If you fantasize about sexual sin in order to be happy, or if you have to fantasize about sexual sin in order to perform, you have a spiritual problem. And you're lining up with the men of Sodom. And you're lining up with these men who have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness that are ungodly men who were before the foundation of the world ordained to condemnation. You do not have the right to fantasize. Because the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 24, 9, that the thought of foolishness is sin. If you're a young man, or you're a young woman, and I'm sorry for getting off this quite this far, but i got to make this point because I don't want you going home confused. If you're a young man, and you want to be married, you're a young woman, and you want to be married, and you're about to get married, but you're not married yet, and you're thinking about what it's going to be like when you get married, there is no sin in desiring that in marriage. That wouldn't be sexual sin. That means you want to marry somebody that fears the Lord and have someone to sleep with at night. That is not sin. You can prove it by going to Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 22, and finding about when you desire somebody in the proper context of marriage, that is totally different than wanting to do it outside of marriage. And see, what I just told you doesn't apply to 98% because filthy dreams are dreams that don't really involve marriage. Because it's a violation of marriage, what you're thinking of. The thought of foolishness is sin. So to have filthy dreams and to fantasize, you're lining up with these men who are like the men of Sodom. Job said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Peter said, their eyes are full of adultery. Job said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know, the older Job got, the older Mrs. Job got. The older Mrs. Job got, the better some of the servant girls looked. That's a spiritual problem. That is not a problem of Mrs. Job. And Mrs. Job and Mrs. everyone else in here... That is not your fault, and don't you worry about it one bit. That is not the issue. The issue is how close your husband is to the Lord. Because that will cure those problems. Fantasizing in order to be happy or in order to perform is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual problem here. These men are denying the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. These are reprobates. They don't have the power of the Spirit of God. You need to get down on your knees and confess it to God and ask Him for strength. Well, I've done that night. Then ask again. Then ask again. He's able to give you strength. He doesn't have to come running and be your beck and call boy because you've played around with it so much and created habits in your head. Get those habits out of your head. I want us to be vigilant and violent. And so I'm, I'm trying to preach that way. In Proverbs 6.25, it says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. You know what the next two verses say? Wherefore, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. 
Because it's better for you to go into life maimed than to go into the hellfire with everything there. What that means is cut off any situations in your life that lead you to sin. Now, everywhere we go practically has certain degrees of temptation. But we've got to fight it because we want to earnestly contend for the faith. Now it's getting so practical I don't like it. Earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Do you want to hear about that faith? Do you want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3? This is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother. That you learn how to control your vessel. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? When the whole thing is preached, doctrine is preached hard. That God judged these categories of men. And then we see practical righteousness like this. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord Jesus Christ, He created sex. He created love. He created every curve on a woman's body. He created every bit of hair. He created every erogenous zone. He created every hormone. He created every part of her anatomy. But He he gave you rules. And He gave me rules. And I want to say this about my Lord Jesus Christ. He had sensual and attractive and affectionate, devoted women around him all his male life, and he did not have a wife. But I want to tell you one thing. He was tempted in all points like Jonathan Crosby, but he never sinned. And I love my Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Bible tells me that I can go to God, and I have a high priest there that understands my infirmities, and that I can go and he can succor them that are tempted because he was also tempted, I I have the greatest Savior and the greatest high priest in the history of the world. You know, what good is it to go to a Catholic priest who's only tempted by boys? That's not going to help me very much. But to go to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the greatest. He is the greatest. Joseph, a couple occasions when Mrs. Potiphar tried to get him. My Lord Jesus Christ, every day of His life. When you heal a woman's relatives or her 12-year-old daughter... She gets quite affectionate. When you are the epitome of graciousness and you have all the answers, it is very easy for women to have been tempted with our Lord Jesus Christ. I am not speaking disrespectfully of him. I'm telling you when the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, he wasn't talking about shoplifting cigars. Let's go after something that really gets us at home right here. Filthy dreaming. Let's be like Job. Do you know how great Job was? Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? You know what Satan knew? That he had made a covenant with his eyes. That he wouldn't think upon a maid. The Lord had a hedge about Job so that Satan could not do very much by bringing scantily clad maids across Job's sight. But Job did everything he could to avoid that himself. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. And when you read Job 31.1, you say, Amen. There's, there's none like him in the earth. He made a covenant with his eyes. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh. We want to hate any relation to lasciviousness, uncleanness, 
or fornication that's condemned right there in that verse. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The sexual drive is the most powerful drive of our lives. And so when you turn the grace of God into a casual, contemporary, Christian, come as you are, we're not judgmental, we're not legalistic like that little Baptist church you came from. We don't get down and pound the Bible. We're not Bible thumpers. We don't preach fire and brimstone. Do you know what goes first? Sexual laws go first. And if you can't look around and see that today with the denominations ordaining sodomites, putting a lesbian in the pulpit. Now, it's hard for me to read that in the news that some denomination ordained a lesbian and some church had a celebration because they had a new pastor that was a lesbian. Now, in the Bible, it says that a bishop has to be the husband of one wife. Now, how does a lesbian do that? That's what our nation's gone to. Right. Do you know where it all started? Men crept in unawares who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. They were ungodly men, and they have opened up the floodgates. But they had a condemnation that was given to them before of old by the God of heaven. And just like he destroyed the generation that came out of Egypt, he's going to destroy them. Second Timothy chapter 3 says their folly is going to be made manifest to all men, just like the folly of Janus and Jambres trying to withstand Moses. Brethren, the judgment of America is coming, and it comes out of our pulpits that we allow so much to go on in this country. We must fight. We cannot, you, we cannot have friends. We cannot allow our children to have friends who in the least degree allow, condone, or wink at sexual sins at all. We cannot watch movies that include or justify or promote sexual sins. We can't do it. We're letting the devil have a pulpit to preach contrary to the Word of God. How can we be earnest contenders for it if we're watching the things that are opposite to truth and enjoying it? Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You may say, I don't do them, but are you having pleasure in friends that do them? Are you having pleasure in entertainers that promote them? We must be vigilant and violent. Or we can't be like Joshua and Caleb. And your, your family will go down. And you will go down. We must be vigilant and violent. Vigilant means we're always watching and we're very alert and we're very critical and we're detail-oriented about compromise with sin. And violent is we cut off our hand, pluck out our eye, throw away the television, cancel a magazine subscription, break off a friendship, change schools, get a new job, whatever we need to do. So that we do not sin in this category. I'm about done. Look at Ephesians 4.20. Ephesians 4.20, the grace of God that comes, the grace of God that brings salvation. That's the gospel of the true grace of God. Ephesians chapter 4 is where I want you to turn. It's totally different. These men turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. So that all the standards of modesty, sexual activity before marriage, it's... It's so different in the last 50 years. And it's come out of the pulpits. Because the people are sitting in the pews and no one in the pulpits telling them what they're watching at home. You know, you, you come into church for one or two hours a week. First of all, these subjects are hardly ever preached on. Then you go home and you watch all this filth. It breaks down your morals. You've got, you got enough drive inside for fornication without any television. Right. But when you add that, we're dead. We're ruined. 
I know. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is that a little tiny bit different from Jude 1.4? Ungodly men turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. The true, they turn the grace of God into you can live any way you want. We're not legalists here. We're not going to, you know, you ought to be married, but the fact that you're living together, that's okay. Listen, as long as you love each other, you know, that's, I know, I know you love somebody else last week, but as long as you're loving this person this week, and if you're loving the new one next week, it's okay, as long as you love each other. Let's turn the grace of God until it's, God loves everybody. God loves you two little lesbian queers. Which one of you is going to have the baby? The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us that, denying ungodliness, the very opposite of that text. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That ain't, that ain't close, is it? It isn't close. But you know what? Most people today about the grace of God just keep letting this thing slide over here. This is righteousness on my right hand. I'm sorry it's your left. I'll turn around. This is righteousness over here. It's on my right hand. They're letting it slide over here. Until it's so mixed up, you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a worldling. Where's a Joshua and a Caleb? Where's a Phinehas? Do you know what Phinehas thought of fornication? Sport. Give me my javelin. Let these little people, these little Christians pray. Give me my javelin. God made an everlasting covenant with that man for a thousand generations. Phinehas will always have a man to stand before me. I wonder where he is in the world right now. I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could go have a toast for Phinehas. Sorry, I'm just that. Toast his father. <sighs> Ephesians 4.20 But ye have not so learned Christ. There must be a context for those words. Let's get it. It's America in 2009. Listen to the description. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. That's authority speaking. That ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Those were the men of Sodom. They gave themselves over to fornication, even to strange flesh. Do you remember the words? They gave themselves over to it. That just means throwing off all restraint, anytime, anywhere, any number. That's why they surrounded the house and wanted them, those strangers out in the street now. And they told Lot what we're going to do to them. We want to know them. We want to check out their anatomy. These people have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. All uncleanness, sodomy, bestiality, fornication, whoremongery, partying, wife swapping. To work all uncleanness with greediness. They're just greedy after it like dogs. For meat. For food. Past feeling. 
No conscience. Nothing to slow them down. Verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. That is not the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The religion of the Lord Jesus Christ is the opposite of that. And let's keep it the opposite in this church. What have we learned today? Jude, the people, having been delivered out of Egypt, were afterward destroyed because they believed not. What commands does God have for you and promises he's given you that you are fudging in your life? The angels were cast down out of heaven and are reserved to everlasting destruction because they sinned one time in pride against their maker. The men of Sodom were burned up with everlasting fire and are set forth as, a venge- as an example of God's vengeance. And they're suffering eternal fire at this day. And we are like them if you allow filthy dreams into your life. And if you live like this, and if you live like the world, and if you live like a lot of casual Christians, we must live holy, separated, different lifestyles. We have to think differently, read differently, watch differently, entertain differently. We need, to, we need to associate with different kinds of people. We need to wear different clothes. We need to guard ourselves more carefully than this generation is, or we're going to go right down with them. And when the Lord looks, and the Lord is looking, in Psalm 66, didn't we start out this morning, and now I finish, His eyelids behold the nations. He sees every one of us. Lord, save us and help us. But the Lord cannot and will not save unless we are doing what is right. And if we continue to compromise anywhere, He will eventually no longer help us because He will not hear us, no matter if we repent and choose right action. Hear the word of the Lord this day. Let's. Where are the Joshuas? Where are the Calebs? Where are the Michaels? Where are the Gabriels? Where are the Abrahams? Where are those that want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? I can love a Mary Magdalene and forgive her and let her wash my feet with her tears and her kisses and her long, pretty hair and never have one thought but a sinner saved by grace. That's high and holy stuff. That's our Redeemer. We may not quite reach the pedestal, but let's aim for it. Let's pray for it. And may may God the Holy Spirit... Conform us from the inside out to be more and more like Him. Amen.